So in season five of Franchise Findings, we're gonna to continue to go through some of the most popular franchises in the United States and globe. Also, we're going through some emerging franchise concepts that have anywhere from two, five, hundred locations throughout the United States growing and looking to take on the world with their franchise system. We continue to interview founders of franchises as well as franchisees. So a lot of information for you. Hope you enjoy season five of Franchise Findings. Hey, Patrick Fandaro, co-founder at Embedded Biz. Excited to have on Brandon Ezra, who's the CEO and founder of Grand Welcome. Um, Brandon, thanks for joining us today. Right, thanks for the uh, invite. Good to be here, Patrick. So maybe you could start with just telling a little bit about how you got into the property management space and how you cemented your career um, in that area before deciding to, to franchise the concept. Sure, yeah. Um, so I, I got in as a kid. I've been doing this for over 20 years and I liked snowboarding and fly fishing when I was young. And um, Mammoth Lakes uh, Ski Resort, Mountain Resort was fairly near me. I lived in LA and I figured uh, if I'm going to spend a lot of time up there, I'm going to make some money. <laughs> and vacation rental management's one way to do it. That's that's how it got started. So is this like right out of high school, college, this is this is all you've done or did you have something else that you were doing and you were having this on the side? Yeah, so I, I guess I got into this, shoot, let me think. Wow, um, 2003, four. So yeah, I mean, I didn't have a whole lot of career before this. And I just did stuff, you know, I finished up some school and I just jumped into miscellaneous jobs and, you know, random things and a bit of traveling like a lot of young people do. And I fell into it. And did you ever work for like a larger property management group or were you always an entrepreneur? No, I was uh, stubborn enough to not work for anybody and be taught anything. I feel <laughs> like I've seen this with man. South African entrepreneurs and there's some super successful ones, you know, just going yeah. like Elon Musk, obviously wealthiest guy in the world. That's, and that's I don't think example. he ever worked for anyone out of, uh, out of UPenn undergrad. And there's a lot of South Africans that have blazed their trail in the US. And uh, I don't know, is it is it like a very entrepreneurial uh, society back back home? Yeah, it is. I mean, there's not a whole lot of big corporate stuff that you want to work your way up. It's, it's you know, you, you really have to, you know, have your own business and um, figure it out yourself. I mean, that's, that's the environment. It's also a very nurturing environment. It's a great place to grow up. Um, obviously, apartheid was not a good thing. But certainly, um, the British instilled an incredible scholastic system. And so the education there was off the charts. Like a public school there was equivalent to, you know, like high school and middle school public was equivalent to a, a private school in the U.S. And so the education was excellent. It was a great environment to nurture business people. And um, that seems to be what happened. And the experience that you had in, in, in property management, what, what has like led you to continue on that path and not go into some parallel like property development or working at, at one of the resorts and, and following yeah. another track? What, what's kept your head down and focusing on vacation rental property management? Um, yeah, I looked at all those options and I've, I've dabbled over the years, but... Um, um, vacation management, it's, it's a massive industry, as we all know. Um, recently, it's grown up quite a lot with the advent of Airbnb and Verbo and things like that. Um, and there's just a lot of opportunity, right? It's, it's predominantly still mom and pop operated. 90% of it, 95% mm. is relatively small operators. Um, and uh, I, like, I just like the little towns that they're all in, quite frankly. I like, I like the actual 
geography that's attached to this industry. I like the towns. I like the people. I like the communities. Um, so, you know, my day-to-day work, obviously, like everyone's, you know, work can be tough. But for the most part, I'm working with really great people. So it's been really awesome. So tell me about these mom and pops. Is this... Like, are they managing five rentals, 10 rentals, 15 rentals? Like, what do you, what do you tend to see when Grand Welcome opens up in a, in a set community and there's mom and pops offering vacation rental management? Yeah, mom and pops are generally south of 50 properties under management. And a huge portion of the industry is south of 20, just little teeny companies, people managing just a few properties. Um, but, you know, for Grand Welcome, you know, we would expect most of our franchisees to be anywhere from the 50 to 100 range, roughly. That's significant because... You know, if you're managing 15 vacation rental properties in Orlando, you're doing maybe top line revenue, 150, 200K. So everyone can do the math. If you have 50, 100 properties under management, that's that's a serious business with nice top well, line revenue. Well, on average, there's 65,000 revenue per unit in the industry on average. Uh, you know, so if you're doing, you know, for, let's say 20 properties, you're at 1.3 million in revenue. It's not bad with a pretty good margin. Um, and it, if you're running it as a mom and like just an owner-operated franchise, you're you're making money on 20. It's pretty good, you know. But there are inflection points, right? So you start getting to that 20 to 30 range, and now you really got to bring in like someone to help you. So now there's payroll, and then you grow to that next stage, and you make up for the payroll, and you get to that next level of profit. Um, and the next sort of inflection point's about 50 to 60. And then the next one's about 110 to 120 properties under management. But all these different points require additional investment to get to the next level. Um, so, so that's why... margin goes down, you reinvest the profits, you hire up, and then you can get to the next tranche. Yep, that's it. And- so that's why a lot of people will stop at that 25 mark because they know, hey, at 25, it can just be me. I make my money and I'm happy. Um, those who get more ambitious want to get to the 50, 60, and then so on and so forth. And obviously in some... Some territories don't justify a lot of growth. Little teeny locations just justify 20, 30 properties under management. And some other locations, like Orlando is a good example, that justifies, you know, I guess I would be disappointed if that location wasn't two to 300 properties eventually. Should be. Yeah. And I mean, in Orlando in particular, there's a lot of just single family homes that are, they need a lot of work. So I imagine there's ancillary services that you can keep on offering and that you're getting compensated on if you're managing the property, whether it's the outsourcing of the pool guy, pest control, all that. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's stuff you can make a margin on, like just general maintenance stuff. You know, I'm a strong believer in being hyper-focused. So if you're going to manage properties, just manage properties, just get more of okay. them. You know, that's, that's how you should make more money. But in some cases, you may eventually max out in an area, hit a ceiling, right? And in that case, okay, you have more, now you have more time in your hands and you want to make a higher margin. And then, you know, then get into some of the ancillary type services or, and, you know, services, not just to the owner, but to the, to the guest. Every location has stuff that they can make a margin on. So my advice is stay really, really focused until you've hit a ceiling. And at that point, you know, you know, look for other ways. That's well said. And for your franchisees at Grand Welcome, are you more focused on the, like, the high-end niche? Like what, what's the average rate per night or per week or whatever metric you track for the, the franchisees we're, in your we're system? We're down the middle. Like our average, um, like the average for the industry is about 65000 a year for a property. Uh, we're slightly below that. I think we're like sixty two five, And that's just because we've got one or two franchisees that are doing extremely well. They just have a lower ADR, but you know their, their numbers are through the roof. 
So that that's a good problem to have. But we're about down the middle right now across the board. And what's it look like? Like what type of support do you provide a grand welcome welcome franchisee from going zero to one or zero to twenty units under management? Oh, a ton of support. Uh, I mean, just you know, really everything. Training, technology. We can um, even help with sales, with signing on properties. We help with marketing. We get the data for the properties and emails and phone numbers and all the stuff you need to solicit the owners. Um, we produce the revenue. Once the property's onboarded, when you wake up in the morning and you know your your property manager system's full of reservations, that's us. Um, we also help with strategic advice. As you start hitting those inflection points, like what does the next level look like? Well, we can help because we've we've done that a number of times, and so it's it's quite extensive. We have twenty four hour guest services as well, so it's you know a, a lot of support. Um, we want to help the franchisees do what what this thing's been built to do, which is just sign up a lot of properties and just just produce a lot of revenue. What are some like common traits like the top performing franchisees exhibit? Um, just getting their hands dirty, putting a lot of work out the gate. Super what important. are we talking? 40, 50, 60 hour weeks for the first 18 months, 24 months? Yeah, probably the first 12 months is going to be a toughest, toughest go. And yeah, you're definitely going to put in more than a work week, right? It's your business. Like if you're yeah. opening your own business, not a franchise, you're not putting in 40 hours a week. I mean, I would just say to you, just, just stick to a job, right? Because it requires more than that in general. Like you're going to have to work really, really hard to build a great business. There's no shortcuts. But so that's what they have in common. Really hardworking, really focused. Uh, they're collaborative. If you want to buy a franchise, you need to collaborate. Like you're not a you're not a, a single standing shop. You're going to work with us. There's going to be problems. We're going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. It's a partnership, and you've got to be the kind of person that wants to work it through. Um, but yeah, if you have that going for you, I think that franchising is a good thing. You know, and we're probably a reasonable option. Looking at your financials in the last FDD, I mean, you have multiple corporate locations. Um, you like to serve snowboard like me. Why keep growing? Like you had made a pretty nice lifestyle for yourself, your employees, like everyone in the grand welcome ecosystem. Why, why then franchise and, uh, add a lot yeah. more work for you and grow that way? Well, that's totally a, that was totally a personal decision, not a financial one. And so I, I've always, you know, I'm still, I'm a young guy. I'm just, just, I got into my 40s and a lot of years ahead of me. So I, I'm a strong believer in just offering a lot of value yeah. as much as possible, you know, while you're here, right? On, on, a, on a personal level, I know I can help hundreds, if not thousands of families create wealth and businesses and just, you know, really add value to their communities. So that's that's the primary reason that I'm deciding to franchise. But yeah, I totally just got to stuck to corporate, you know, open more locations or not even, I mean, Numbers are good and life is great. But, you know, that would have been a little unrewarding long term. If I sit back in my rocking chair one day and look back and said, wow, I made a lot of money with some corporate locations and that was my contribution. It's not a bad thing, but it's not as satisfying as what I'm doing now. That's well said. Yeah, I mean, the value the value you create, I mean, that's more fulfilling than a lot of these other activities that I also enjoy too, but you know, they're the long-term value that you can give to franchisees, employees, et cetera, I think transcends a lot of other things that you can do with your time. Yeah. I mean, money is not fulfilling. It's a thing, right? So it's in a bank and like, we've all been there where you've like strive for something material and when you got it like two days later, you're like, oh, well, that's it. You know, that's boring. And like, it just gets old quickly. So yeah, you want to really be super fulfilled, just like help a lot of people. 
Um, and in turn, you'll do well, right? Like that's the way the world's built. Like, you know, add value and value comes back to you, but you've got to add the value first. And so for me, helping all these vacation communities keep the revenue in their communities and not go out to the large corporations uh, is, is good. I like that. And the people themselves, the franchisees, creating a lot of personal wealth, that's great as well. I like both of those. So we've, we've looked pretty extensively at the, the existing property management franchises and very few are, are hyper-focused on vacation rental. Yeah. A lot of them do anything. It's managing homeowner associations, commercial, residential, long-term. Yep. If you want to dabble in vacation rental, you can do that. Yep. What, why, why have you decided just to keep going with vacation rental and not maybe have your franchisees also do long-term residential or some of these other facets to property management? You know, each one of those segments of the management world are really complicated. Vacation rentals being the most complicated. I think by far. Highest margin too. Highest margin. Um, and you've got to be very focused. You know, when you get up in the morning, if if my team is focused on one thing, which is to help you get vacation properties and produce a lot of revenue for you and the owners, um, that's a good thing, right? You, you, you don't have any commingling of thoughts. You don't have any conflicts. Um, it's all really just flows quite nicely. And business in itself is hard enough. So why, to me, why complicate your business with multiple um, uh, endeavors as opposed to just sticking to one and doing it really, really well. And, you know, it's, it's not like, it's not like we're ever going to max out on vacation rentals, you know, as big as we ever get, let's say eventually we get to 5,000 locations worldwide and all the properties under management. It's still a very, very small percentage of what is out there to be managed, right? I mean, real estate as an asset class, someone told me it's like two times larger than like all the publicly traded stocks. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, there's so much out there to be had. You know, and once again, it's, it's it also for me is, so the focus part's huge, but it's also, I'm, I'm personally interested in people doing well and seeing them continue to do well. And so um, I know these vacation businesses can last decades and bring almost an annuity to your family and your community for decades. So, you know, the first company I ever bought was in Mammoth Lakes, and I bought it from a guy named Dave Buckman. And he'd ran that business for 37 years, making money every year. And that was 15 years ago. So it's it's like a 52-year-old business today, and it still makes money today. Like We've never not made money, ever. That's awesome. And so, um, and that's not a huge company, right? It's like 100 properties in little old Mammoth Lake. It's it meets the average, like 65K per property. So nothing special. Um, and um, so for, you know, if you just stay focused on one industry and build one thing really well, you can get decades of value out of it. And so to me, that's just enough to just say, just do one thing. It's like Chick-fil-A and the Kathy family. They're worth $14 billion and they just focus on chicken. And just make chicken sandwiches, chicken. right? <laughs> I've got um, a guy that I know is... You know, one of the head of operations for In-N-Out Burger. Oh, wow. If you've been to In-N-Out Burger, they are not diversified. It's a burger. And yes. the bigger version, like the different version is one extra patty. <laughs> that's it, right? And there's fries. I mean, that's that's their menu, essentially. But who doesn't like an In-N-Out Burger? Sadly, I still haven't been to one. All my trips to California, it's like the wait's like 45 minutes. And I, I haven't, I've like haven't had the time to like wait in the drive through lane. Well, there's one right around the corner for me. So if you ever swing by, I'll, I'll take you for one. But it's, yeah, it's for a great sure. burger. It's hyper-focused. They got one thing right. And then once again, vacationals is very complicated. 
So we and we take most of the complication on the backside of the business. So we have quite an extensive staff right now. So you know we've got we've got about fifty locations total. It should be about seventy by the end of the year and something like that. And we have um, way more staff than franchisees. And so we're staffed with some of the very best people in the industry. And so um, and still, it's not like we wake up every day and it's easy. It takes a lot of hard work. So just like for me, it's like be super focused. And, um, you know, the rest should take care of itself. Diving back on the numbers. So like break it down for me a bit. I don't know if I'm doing the math right. So say like 62,365 days a year, obviously there's some days that aren't booked, but you calculate it like hotels ADR. So that's yeah. like two, 200 bucks a night ADR. Um, well, it, it depends on the occupancy of the area. Yeah. So the average, you know, the average occupancy in the industry is, you know, just sort of mid fifties. That's what, about 180 days. I don't have my calculator in front of me, but 180 divided into around 65,000 is the average. And that's the average ADR. So then that, so that's essentially what they're getting, you're getting renting out the property. And if you own the property, that's what you're getting. But if you're managing someone else's property, what's the split with the grand welcome franchisee? And with the the owner of the property, Grand Welcome Friend, they can set whatever management fee they want, and most of them are somewhere between twenty to twenty five percent on average. Sometimes a little bit lower, sometimes a little bit higher, but that's roughly the range. Understood. So that's clear now. So saying you're say per home roughly ten k, and the idea is you're building up to a million dollar business home by home by home that you bring on to the your grand welcome platform. Yeah, that's it. Just incrementally bring the homes on. The homes generally have a very long shelf life, very sticky. Um, so most homes come on, they'll stay on for you know, four, five, six years on your program, some longer. i got some homes on my program that are 20 plus years <laughs> from companies that have acquired. So some people stick around for a long time. But on average, it's it's a, a quite a long stay, you know, um, especially in a stable economy, which it's by stable, I mean, you know, not a post-COVID economy where real estate prices go through the roof and then there's turnover. Uh, so for the most part, yeah, people just stick around and um, help build up your business. And during your experience with the corporate locations and even with the franchisees, did you ever have like uh, an acquisition in organic growth or has it always been organic growth? I purchased a number of companies. So when I was looking to do the corporate thing, I bought like 15 companies little companies and I just stitched them all together and grew and then I took a look at my balance sheet and I took a look at the, the damage and it's like you know what the only reason someone's going to be buying a lot of companies unless it's a very strategic move is because there's a problem and I didn't have a problem I mean I, my balance sheet's clean like we've got basically no debt we PL's good um so I was like, why even deal with this? And it was a little unsatisfying. And um, I'd looked at franchising many years before that. And I couldn't do it because Airbnb and Verbo really didn't exist. Well, Airbnb certainly didn't. And and they were the key to what we're doing. Because if you have, say, a franchisee that signs up in Spain and they sign on a few properties, back in the old days, well, never mind Spain, how about Aspen? Keep it local. And they sign on 20 properties in Aspen. Back in those days, the local Aspen managers control the Google space. So what are you going to do with your 20 properties? Like no one's going to find you. There's no revenue. So good luck to you. You got to go through that. Yep, that's it. So as soon as the the OTAs, the channel managers, Airbnb and Verbo and Booking.com and all these guys took over the space, and now they and and you know they're now dominated. Obviously, yeah, it's easy. So I could sign up a property anywhere, probably in the world, and put it online and potentially have a reservation the same day. So 
that was like a huge turning point for me. So looked at looked at franchising 2010 11 didn't really work looked at it about a, just short of a decade later looked great and and here we go so you you've had some acquisitions yourself buying out basically mom and pop and consolidating the the contracts under management sure is that something you advise for prospective franchisees and entering grand welcome or even the current franchisees after they've been up and open for a few years yeah so that, that's the key point up and open for a few years know your market know your margins know your attrition rate once you buy these companies not everyone's going to stick around make sure you cut a good deal so as long as all the numbers stack up but yeah it's a nice way to supplement your growth sure it helps right but you know, you could put the same amount of dollars into marketing and just plain old hard work and probably get those properties anyway. But it, it doesn't hurt. Like if you have the additional capital and the numbers stack up and you know your market well enough, it, it can help. It, it can be a good synergy, but it's it, it should be done with a lot of care. And for Grand Welcome, welcome for someone that's going to start with zero properties, like what should they have, including working capital? And they obviously have to have other funds to, to live off of, especially if their spouse isn't, isn't also earning. Yeah, but what's like a realistic number where it's like you should have more or less this amount or this range to yeah, open well, up the business with yeah, we, working capital? Yeah, we cap out about 160k for all in investment right now, and that that should get you through to cash flow positive. And then that's for our biggest areas. So that's like the tier four. We have a tiered system of area sizes one through four. Obviously, a tier one is a lot less cash, right? A tier one cost. $15,000 to buy the territory. It's a very small territory. Tier four is 105,000 and everywhere in between, right? The two different How do you tiers. measure the territories? By the size of estimated revenue. So we've got metrics on the number of properties and their their ADRs and the occupancy. And so we get a pretty good idea of revenue. You know, we'll always err on the side of caution. If a territory is a tier two, but it just barely is a tier two, we'll just pop it down to a tier one. Like we always want to be fair. But we use a, a tiered system just to make sure it's uh, affordable for any community to uh, to start up. I like it. And and then do they have like right of first refusal? Like say someone's like tough on cash and they want to get their feet wet with Grand Welcome and they're super hard worker, but they just don't have enough cash for a T4. If it's going well, can they then upgrade? Like how, how does that work out? Well, it's first come, first serve. So you can't really lock in a future area um, at all, really. But if someone wants to buy it and you're adjacent or you, we know you're interested, we will talk to you about it and say, like, look, this cool. this is happening. If you want it, yeah. here it is. You can buy it. And obviously buy it upon our approval, right? Like we – territories are really valuable. And we, we want to make sure, um, first of all, that our franchisees – um, can afford it. They're not overextending themselves. There's nothing worse than a successful business, you know, drowning in expansion. Um, nothing sadder than that. You see a lot of that in franchising where people are boasting about like 300 territories sold, but like then you look online and there's only like 20 locations open. Yeah. And also people selling 300 territories and just not having the staff to back it up or validating the, the, the business strategy. I mean, I just got out of a three-day deep dive with my executive team on this, the model and the strategy and changes we need to make. And it's an ongoing thing because industries adjust, pricing adjusts, you got to stay with it. So expanding too quick um, is really um, frivolous, you know, for any business that can cause a lot of trouble. You got to be very cautious. 
about what you do and certainly make sure you're adequately capitalized. Otherwise, you can have some big problems. And what are you seeing in terms of like resale values? So, you know, the average franchisee holds on to their business for seven years. Hopefully for Grand Welcome, it's it's much longer than that. But realistically, someone invests 160K, they have 50 doors. Like what what's the type of value for, what valuations are you seeing for that type of business? Well, we, we haven't sold any yet because as you know, we're an emerging franchise, a couple of years old. Um, the industry, so the vacation rental industry, I can tell you about that with a lot of detail. So generally, um, companies that are less than, say, 500,000 of EBITDA will sell for around anywhere from 4 to 5x, um, 4 to 5 times profit. So if they're producing, say, 500k in profit, they'll sell for about 2 to 2.5 million, roughly, right? Um, and it, it goes up from there. So if you're, say, north of a million of profit, I know companies in the vacation industry that have sold for 7 to 10x. So all of a sudden, you're a million, million and a half, and you're selling for 8 to $10 million, potentially. Um, but I don't have any experience yet of a resale within my um, system. I'm not sure if the resale values would be higher or lower. Um, potentially higher because it's attached to a system, maybe more stability for the buyer. Maybe lower because perhaps the people paying the big bucks want the company as an add-on for a thing they have. Yeah, I could see it work like either way where you have like that financial buyer where the valuation goes up and then you have like the strategic buyer where it's like the resort that wants to buy it and they, yeah. they want yeah. they want the, their own brand. Yeah, but uh, it's probably in that range. I, I got to think it's got to be somewhat relevant to what's happening to freestanding managers, right? Vacation managers. And what margins are you seeing in the vacation rental property management space? Margins are pretty good. I mean, you know, uh, out of every dollar that gets booked by a guest, about 35% on average, maybe a bit higher, should land up as usable dollars for the franchisee. It's pretty decent. Um, so margins are pretty good. You know, we uh, I built the franchise for um, our franchisees to be cash flow neutral, or even positive within the first year. That was always my plan. So initially, we were charging 6% of total revenue as our royalty. And we now dropped it down to 8% of net revenue, which was nice. at a 50% reduction. I, I did that a few months into this. And the reason I did it was obviously clearly not to make more money for myself because I was getting half as much. But it was to get the franchisees more profitable quicker. And so yeah, that's, that's going to be more interests are aligned where you could, um, there's different ways that like the franchise work can manipulate, like if it's off gross um, or off like certain metrics. Like I was looking yeah. at Kumon franchise and their effective royalty rate is like 20 to 30% based on like how many subjects are sold. But yeah. the FDD is just so damn confusing and like, it's just not clear at all, like how how like how much money at the end of the day the franchisee is going to keep. And as is as simple as pie. I mean, it's crystal clear. There is no yeah. confusion. I'm I'm a strong believer in simplicity and not duping people because eventually the, the you know the hens come home to roost at some point. And so um, we make a you know we make a margin on the dollars that you actually have to use to run your business. Right, and it's a pretty reasonable margin, and that's it. Uh, we have a technology fee simply based on the number of units you have. So if you're super teeny tiny, it's a teeny tiny little number, right? If you're really big, it's obviously costs more. You know, technology is expensive, so it's really scalable. Like the whole, you know, one of our 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 major focuses for the business is to support vacation communities worldwide, any of them, small or big. 
And that's why we started out with a very small tier, tier one, which is a tiny little area. Most people would drive by it and they'd be, they wouldn't even know vacation rentals are happening necessarily, all the way up to the, the biggest areas in the country. And we've also, that's why we scaled our royalties accordingly and our technology fees. So you can be a tiny operator in a tiny town and you can have all the horsepower of what we have to offer, which is substantial, pay a fraction of the price of what it would usually cost you. Just a teeny, teeny little amount really for what we're offering, but get the very best for what you're, you're currently managing. And so that was the design from day one. Um, and it seems to be working quite well. And how's it been with the whole work from home? Um, we work with uh, a group, Bridge Internet. I just interviewed their founder and so many people are moving to rural areas or at least spending a lot more yeah. time in rural areas. Yeah. Curious to hear the impact for, for your business. It's great. I mean, I'd never go back to an office. There's no point. Um, I mean, I got key leadership of mine all over the country. I mean, there is no office we can go to anymore. Like the ship has sailed. Like it's done. And it's great. I mean, the one thing COVID did for me was just show me you, you just don't need people to go to an office. If you've got great people, um, you can work from anywhere. And then all of a sudden, like your hiring geography becomes anywhere in the US, which is amazing. So we've we've got, you know, a super amount of talent just all over the country. We do seem to have a lot of people in Austin now. Okay. Um, just the way it's it's happened. Um Southern well, California. I'm sure a lot of the tech be- workers now. Yeah, on exactly. the tech employees. Yeah. Um, so, but it's uh, for us, it's a moot point. Like we are, we are over the office um, type thing. You know, we, we do get together for meetings from time to time, but um, all good. Have you ever considered, out of curiosity, hiring abroad? Like we have a pretty big team in Argentina, and we get we get together every six months, and we found that's just been a great uh, accelerator for our business, given the education level there, and that. It's a fraction of the cost as a, as American workers. Yeah, I, th- I think it's 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 an option. Um, I think, but as we start going to other countries and expanding, I think then hiring people in those countries becomes more feasible. Um, the one thing I didn't want to do out the gate was sacrifice quality in any way, and I'm not saying it would sacrifice quality, but I know if everyone's in the U.S time zones, language, culture is in alignment, the probability of me being successful for my franchisees, it goes up a lot. So I'm not really, I'm not, you know, I wouldn't call it cost cutting, but I certainly want to maintain quality. And in the future, there might be some stuff we go abroad with. And I think, you know, I think we do have a few people we work with abroad, but right now it's, it's all in the US and all people that are plugged into our culture and, and, they sort of understand the market a little bit more intimately. Have you had many inquiries for people wanting to open up Grand Welcome in, in their home country? We have a yeah, lot of yeah, people listening in on our podcast, YouTube channel from all over the world. Yeah. Yeah, no, we have. We've had people from all over the, the world. And, and you know, we, we, we're we most probably going to register down in Canada and Mexico, just get that going. Um, and we'll start, you know, I think next year, maybe doing our first couple, um, you know, international, but, you know, kind of local. You know, Canada and Mexico are considered somewhat local. Um, we'll be in the cards. But if we do have some fantastic people in other countries, we are willing to consider opening there next year. Um, and I'd say 24 for us will probably be the big international year where we open up, you know, another maybe four or five countries and we put a lot of time and effort into that. That makes sense. Yeah. You have the whole U.S. market where, as you said, your whole team's aligned, cultural, everything's, you know, yep. on top to dominate the U.S. market. So it makes sense. Yep. We definitely want to, next year. yeah, want to stay away from dilution. Like the whole focus thing, it's not only what you do, it's how you do it, you know, and as soon as you start going international and you start doing these things, 
it's sexy on the outset, but when when the rubber hits the road, um, it does dilute your team and dilute focus to some degree. Yeah, so you really you have to do, do it, it right. I mean, I imagine like you choose the wrong market, it doesn't work out. It can just be a huge drain of, of your time. We saw that with Dunkin' Donuts. I think they just opened up seven locations in China, pulled out. I can imagine the executive team, how much time they spent on that, like yep. go to market strategy, relationships with franchisees. So yep. sounds like you're doing it right. Go Going back just- to earlier in our conversation. So you give a territory, like what percent of the addressable market, what's their target? Like, are they hitting up 5%, 10%, 20%? Like when you give a certain T1 or T4 territory, how much do they need to capture that well, for we, it to make sense? Yeah, we do have a minimum that we require um, and it's pretty low. It's like two, three percent, like like two or three percent. Yeah, we're not looking at huge numbers, right? Like we hope they get to five, 10 percent because that's a home run for them. Like they will do extremely well, but they don't have to. Um, it's not required. Like, And I know you, you have like revenue figures, but. For me to better understand, like, say you have some some ski resort, Snowshoe Mountain, West Virginia, where I used to go skiing as a kid. Maybe there's like 500 doors yeah. or say there's a thousand doors in Snowshoe Mountain. And so with those thousand doors, they, they should be capturing at least 20, at least 30. But if they get to if they get to 100 of those doors, it's a home run. Well, you know, in a place that's more isolated, such as that location, um, I mean, they could get to 100, 150 property so more isolated locations have less pressure from the big corporations out there and so the local mom and pop operators usually control those markets pretty well so no i'd say a thousand a thousand doors you, you could get to a good 150 properties comfortably over time you know i think that you know the 20 to 30 properties are the areas that have like two to 300 properties it's a really little tiny area and okay. you're gonna sign up 20 to 30 pretty easily just by being there a thousand dollars is pretty good you know you can, we, you can we talked about the mom and pop who are these big players you don't have to go name by name but like who are the what are these organizations there, there aren't many i can name them i mean there's vacasa which is the big public giant right now vacation rental pros there was turnkey and there's some regional guys that, that do take up some, some bandwidth in the industry. But Vekas is the big guy out there, you know. Um, uh, and if they're in your t- territory, it's not a whole lot to worry about because their quality of, of service is super low. And so for the most well, part... You, don't, you don't have the owner that, that has skin in the game. Yeah, they were really good in the early days. and They just basically became a financial machine. And so their stock prices are just plummeted from I think like twelve to two or something like that. Oh and wow! It's uh, so it's, yeah, yeah, the corporate folks a- are going to be more focused on like fin- refinancing their debt and other corporate yeah. strategies rather than like delivering yeah. a great service. Yeah, I mean, if if the big guys are there, like I just say, don't worry about it. Like it's perfect perfect uh, inventory for you just to pick off it shows that there's been a product market fit and that people don't want to just manage the property themselves and they want to have another firm manage properties yep that's it no question well that's why local ownership was such a big deal with franchising why i think it's really the only way to create a large national brand or international even preferably is local ownership is what vacation rentals require i mean this is not the hotel industry it's individual owners it's building relationships it's being connected to the community and you know a local ownership is the way to do it well you mentioned hotels like compared to hotels it's super asset light like we just did a i did a video got released this is november 17th this our, our conversation will be released in december but um marriott hotel it's over 80 million to open one 
and maybe yeah. as an owner you're earning like two three mil yep. like how yep. does that how does it make sense like yeah the, the yeah. hotel space for a franchisee it just it doesn't add up it's it's so different i mean the only the only commonality is it's a short-term stay like other than that that the two are not connected and trying to do the big hotel or the big corporate thing with vacation rentals has never really worked out resort quest tried it many years ago i'm friends with many of the founders of that company and ceos and it was a disaster that eventually went from 30,000 properties down to like 12,000 which obviously is a catastrophe and Wyndham eventually bought them and Vacasa that big company eventually now bought Wyndham so it just doesn't work you know there's certain things in this world that no matter how you try and uh, maneuver them are not going to become the thing you want and vacation rentals is a personalized industry and it's it's never going to change in my opinion yeah, and there's a reason why you keep just laser focusing on that uh the opportunity is huge margins all these things that we've talked about today yeah that's a good point what territories are you most excited to to open up in say someone's super hungry they have 200k capital they're they want to grind it to to get that to oh, get to man. 20 doors get to 30 properties where would you yes. say hey open Unless, up here you can live anywhere in the u.s like but do this do this place or these few areas so long i mean yeah. but like on average, ADRs and revenues definitely higher along the coastline. Anywhere along the coastline, it's 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 higher. Um, ski locations, mountain locations can be very good, but the coastline is definitely huge. One of the things are regulations, like local regulations. Where I live in Miami Beach, it's very strict on short-term rentals. Is that something that you help navigate from the on-site before someone commits to a certain territory and then also on an ongoing basis? How do you provide support to the, the franchisee? Yeah, sure. Going into the program, we generally have got some visibility on state regulation, right? What is required to do this, this business? Sure. But when it gets down to the actual local regulation, we can be helpful, but we really leave it up to the franchisees to figure it out. Because each, each area really has very nuanced regulations, right? And it can be very in-depth. Sometimes it's easy. It's just like, look, there's no real regulation. Just good luck to you. Go, go and manage properties. In some cases, it's not that. So, we, like we Miami would, Beach so, is like block by block, um, very very oh. complicated. And then I imagine there are certain states where it's just like you can do you kind of do whatever you want as long yeah. as you get the license. Miami's definitely more complicated. I mean, we do have a franchisee there who carved out a nice territory, and oh, nice. heck, he just started, and the properties are coming on. So rates um, are crazy. I'd imagine it'd be more like a hundred hundred thousand a year down yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Hawaii on average is around a hundred thousand, but more even about one hundred and ten thousand a year oh, wow. per property. Um, but yeah, so we state regulation. You know, we're pretty savvy with that. Local regulation, um, certainly franchisees' responsibility, but we're we're totally here to help as much as we can. Well, Brandon, I've enjoyed this conversation. I've learned a lot. I'm sure a lot of people listening have have as well, or if they're watching on YouTube. Any closing thoughts for someone wanting to get into franchising or into property management? Yeah, you know, I think um, the best way to hedge your bets, certainly against economy and retirement, is to take control of your of your destiny. And, and franchising is a great way to do it. You know, you piggyback off a lot of competency and strength of, of people who should know what they're doing. And you can build it up with, with a pretty high probability of success. So I think for those people, it's a good option. And um, yeah, you know, definitely a phenomenal industry. Well, Brandon, we'll be sure to put the contact information of your of your website. Is there a particular call to action you'd like to, to leave today for people that are interested in Grand Welcome? Yeah, sure. I mean, just go to Grand Welcome Franchising or even grandwelcome.com and 
just reach out to us. You'll get a response same day and we're happy to show you what we do. Perfect. Really appreciate having you on today. Thanks a lot, Patrick. Appreciate your time. Talk to you soon. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode. You can leave us a review if you enjoyed the podcast episode. If you hated the podcast episode, let us know what you thought as well as what future episodes you'd like to hear. Feel free to also drop me a line at patrick at vettedbiz.com and subscribe please to our YouTube channel, Business and Franchise Opportunities by Vetted Biz. This has been Franchise Findings Podcast. Thanks for listening.